Uh, last week, we talked about, my dad did, about the angel Gabriel appearing to Zacharias and telling him that he and his wife at an old age, far too old to have children, that they would be the parents of a little boy named John, John the Baptist. It would not be a virgin birth, but it would be a miraculous birth. And so we thought about that last week. Today, we're going to be thinking about how that same angel Gabriel went to a city in Galilee called Nazareth and appeared to a young girl, probably about 16 years of age, named Mary, and said to her, Mary, you are going to be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. And she had all kinds of questions about that because she was a virgin. How could this happen? But before we get into the story, what is it when you think about angels? Of course, I know that all of us here today believe in angels. But when you think about angels, if I were to ask you, what is the main thing that angels do? What would you say to that? Well, I think most of the time when we think about angels, we think about the fact that angels protect us, that, that they encamp around us, that they watch over us. I believe this. When you went to bed last night, I believe there were angels around your house protecting you and watching over you. I believe that for me. I believe when we came to church this morning, there were angels around our cars protecting us and watching over us. Even though we can't see them in the room right now, I don't have any question, but that there are angels in this worship center all around us today, protecting us, worshiping with us, angels are here. And so we know that angels protect us. We know that angels worship God. But did you know one of the things that angels do? And certainly in the Bible, this is the case. Angels deliver specific messages from God to specific people in specific places at specific times. Now, if you'll open your Bible this morning to Luke chapter one, I want us to see how the angel Gabriel delivered a very specific message to Mary at a specific time in history. Luke chapter one, and we're gonna begin reading in verse number 26, and we'll just see this. Luke 1, 26, we read this. Now in the sixth month, that's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth and Mary were relatives, and now she has been pregnant, expecting John the Baptist for six months. The angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house and lineage of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And so here we see Gabriel sent by God at a specific time to a specific place to a specific person. And this angel had a specific and a very clear message. Now, what was the message that Gabriel had for Mary? Well, we see this in verse number 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, for the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. The message that the angel had for Mary was this. And I, 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 you could say it in a different way, but here's the essence of what Gabriel was saying. He was saying, Mary, you have lots of reasons to be happy in your life. You have lots of reasons to be happy. He said, rejoice. And that's all, I, it's all contained in that word. And today, with all of my heart in this setting today, I believe God's message hasn't changed. The application is different, but the heart of the message is the same. And God is saying to all of us here, to you and to me and to everyone here today, that you have a lot of reasons in your life to be happy. And I wonder today how many here would say that they are happy. I don't want you to raise your hand, but uh, if you, some of you did, that's okay. You're really happy. That's good. But you know, I was reading last week that Gallup did a recent study and they said only 19% 
of Americans today describe themselves as really happy. Less than one in five would say that they are really happy. So it makes me think, and it should make you think, if I were describing myself really happy, kind of happy, a little bit happy, not happy at all, very unhappy, where would we be on that chart? Well, Gabriel said to Mary, Mary, you should rejoice. You have many reasons that you should be happy. And then he just begins to list some of these reasons. Let's look at some of these. First of all, he said, Mary, you should be happy because God is with you. You're not alone. God is right there with you. Look in verse 28. And having come in, the angel said to her, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Say those five words with me. The Lord is with you. Say them again. The Lord is is with you. Think about this. When you get home this afternoon, go in your house and there you are in your kitchen or your living room, whichever room. What if you got home today and found Jesus Christ in the flesh, in your house with you? What would you, I mean, we would certainly be shocked and amazed, but after that wore off, I think as the day went on, we would think, good night, of all the places Jesus could be today, of all the houses Jesus could have gone to today, he's in my, this is Jesus, here he is with me in the flesh, and I'll guarantee you one thing, it would make us happy. I think John has been this entire day with Jesus. Well, we don't have him in the flesh, but we have him in our hearts. And he said it's better to have him in our hearts than to have him in the flesh. And I want to just say to you today, just like God was with Mary, God is with you. You are not alone. In your home, in your car, at work, on that pew this morning you're sitting in, me standing up here and preaching in this book, I'm not alone. God is with me. I know that. I would be foolish. I would be a fool to get up here and to talk to you about God if I didn't know in my heart that God is with me, that he is in me, that he is behind me, that he's surrounded me, that God is with me. Yesterday is a week ago, I had a reminder of the presence of God in my life. I was home by myself and it was about two o'clock in the afternoon and I had done a lot that day so far. I read my Bible, done some other little projects, but I hadn't prayed, hadn't had my prayer time yet. And so Turn the TV off, total silence, and I said, I need to spend a little bit of time just praying. And so I was just sitting in my chair where I pray some, and, and I was just, I was praying. And about 20, 25 minutes into my prayer time, I noticed, I was in the living room, and I noticed from the back of my house, there was music coming that I was listening to. And, and just all of a sudden, here came music. And it sounded like angels were singing. First thing I thought is, God, am I dying? And the angels are coming, coming, coming for to carry me home. But that wasn't what it was. It sounded like angels, but it wasn't angels. What it was is I have an alarm clock in my back room that is a radio alarm clock. I've had it for about 20 years. And it has four different places. You know, you have an on switch, off, radio, and then the alarm. Well, the clock is so old, I can't explain this, but it's got to where it just shifts itself into the own position by itself. It's very strange. So I'm home and sometimes you just hear it. When it does it, it's not as loud as it would be if you put it on. It's not all the way on, so it's kind of faint music. And I've said to myself, I need to replace that. I need to just go buy a new alarm clock. But you know, those things cost about 29 bucks. You don't wanna rush into a decision like that. (laughs) Think about that, pray about that, study that. And so I haven't replaced it. But when I was home, I was just, I was praying. And I want to say this about this particular, this is personal, what I'm telling you, but maybe it'll bless somebody. As I was praying, I was in a very deep peace. In fact, peace, let me say this about peace. There are levels of peace. There really are. There are degrees of peace. 
I've been in peace for the better part of 20 years as far as knowing that I'm saved and just full assurance of my salvation. So I've been in peace for a long time. But there, there are levels of peace. And the reason I have, God has moved me in just in the last few weeks, this is one of the most, this is the freshest thing God's done in my life recently. He has moved me into a deeper level of peace than I've ever known all my life, just within the last few weeks. And the reason is, I have been, I, I was wondering about something for quite some time. I've kind of been wondering about something. And I pray and I ask, and I haven't gotten any answer. And three weeks ago yesterday, I was home and God answered my question. And from the Bible, just gave me the answer to my question. And when he did that, it just moved me into a deeper peace. And so I'm praying and I'm in this deep peace. And now from the back room, I'm hearing music. And what it was, it was a beautiful version of Silent Night, like we just heard here. And it's, it's the, the volume was so faint that it sounded like angels. And so I'm home and having this experience, and I just said this to God. I said, God, this, peace, this deep peace that you have put me in, which, and I've had so much peace already, but you've moved me into a totally deeper level of peace. And God, this peace that I have now is so deep. God, I said, I can live like this, and I can die like this. And I said, God, I pray when my time comes to die, Wherever I am, however old I am, I pray that I'll be able to hear angels as they come with Jesus to take my soul to heaven just singing to me and I won't be agitated or anxious or nervous or any, just in this deep peace that I'm in right now. And I'm just saying that to you. It's very personal, but I'm saying to you today that it was a reminder to me that God is with me. And as I was listening to that music from the back room, it almost, I almost felt like I, that I was in heaven and that I was in the presence of God in a very, very special way. And so I want to say to you today, just like God was with Mary in Nazareth, just like God was with me at my house, God is with you today. You are not alone. And that's the first reason Gabriel said to Mary, you should rejoice. You have every reason to be happy. A second reason that we should be happy today, not only is God with us, but God is for us. God is for us. Look again in verse uh, 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Just another way of saying to Mary, Mary, not only is God with you, but God is for you. God is on your side. You have found favor with God. So many people think that God is against them that God is this strict, mean disciplinarian and he's just sitting on his throne in heaven waiting for us to mess up and when we do, he's gonna zap us or strike us or punish us and God does chasten us and discipline us when we get out of line but the heart of God is our father and he's not against us that God, listen, God is for you. God is, God is rooting for you. Paul said in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the answer is it doesn't matter who's against us. If God is for you, I'd rather have God for me and everybody against me than have everybody for me and God against me. But God is, God is with us, but God is for us, and he's, he's wanting what's best for us in our lives. And then not only that, Gabriel said, Mary, you should rejoice, not just because God is with you and you're not alone, not just because you found favor with God and that he is for you, but Mary, you should rejoice because God has great plans for your life. 
God wants to do something great through you. Look in verse 31. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God of Israel will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Gabriel said, Mary, here's God's plan for your life. You, as a virgin, are going to conceive and you're going to give birth to a very special baby. His name will be called Jesus and he will be the savior of the world. He will be God in the flesh. God wants to do something great through you. Now, this is where I say the application is different. Uh, It's not gonna be exactly the same for us as it was for Mary, but the principle and the teaching is the same, that God wants to do something great through us, that God has great plans for our life. I look at these students over here today, and I try to, it's not hard for me to put myself in your shoes when I was your age. And I begin at that age to ask myself, what am I gonna do when I grow up? What am I gonna do when I go to when I graduate high school? What am I gonna study in college? What am I gonna do with my life? And I thought about being a doctor, and I thought about being a lawyer, and I thought about being a football player. The only problem with that, I wasn't good enough to do that for a living, but I thought about it. I wanted to, but I wasn't good. I thought about all the things that I could do in my life, and, and I could see myself doing all those things. I can't, I, can, I love law, I love medicine, Some of my closest friends are doctors and nurses. I mean, I I can see myself going into an operating room or going into an appointment room to meet with a patient, but you know what? I could not see myself doing any of those things and being happy and being fulfilled. I might have been successful, but I wouldn't have been happy. But when I thought about preaching, I thought about being a minister, I thought about being a pastor, And I just, in my heart, I had peace. And I felt like that's what God was calling me to do. He had placed that desire in my heart. Now, I'm not saying that that applies to to you today, but I'm saying with, with students here, I would say there's some in this group. God is calling you in the ministry in some special way. Maybe to be a worship leader. Some are up here singing during the services now. Maybe to be a student minister. Maybe to be a missionary. Maybe to be a pastor or a minister of some kind. I don't know specifically what God has planned for you to do, but I know this, God God has great plans for our lives. In Jeremiah 29, he said, for I know the plans that I have for you. They're good plans. They're peaceful plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Listen, as you, go, as you grow up, don't just choose a job and say, I'll do that and that'll pay the bills and we'll never have to worry about food. or where we, No, don't, that'd be a horrible way to live if you, if you viewed your job as something you do just to pay the bills. Whatever our job is, whether we're a painter or a plumber or a doctor or a nurse or a teacher, it should be we're doing this because God has led us to do that because God had a plan and this is what God's plan is for our life. Now, when Mary heard this word from Gabriel, now what was the message? Mary, you have every reason in the world to be happy. Rejoice, God is with you, God is for you. God wants to do something great through you. Now, she had a question in response to what Gabriel had said to her. And let's see what her question was in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. In other words, I'm a virgin, Mary said. How in the world can I give birth to a baby? How can this be? Now look back up in verse 18. And let's contrast Mary's question, how can this be, 
with the question that Zacharias asked six months earlier when this same angel Gabriel came to Jerusalem when Zacharias was in the temple and he had a very similar message. He said, Zacharias, you're an old man. Your wife's an old lady. You're both too old to have kids. But supernaturally, miraculously, she will conceive and give birth to John the Baptist. Well, it was biologically and physiologically impossible. And so notice in verse 18, Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? Now, Mary said, how can this be? Zacharias said, how shall I know this? Now, what is the difference in those two questions? Well, it's a a world of difference. Zacharias was questioning God's word. Gabriel had delivered to him the clear word of God and his response was, how can I know this is true? He's questioning God's word. Mary was not questioning God's word. Mary was questioning God's ways. And she said, how can this be? And you know what? That's just natural. Sometimes in life, we get in a situation and we're just maybe in a tight spot or a difficult spot. And, and it's not so much that we question God's word, but we do question God's ways. God, how are you going to do this? I think about all the promises that God has made to us in the Bible. These beautiful promises, just black ink on white paper. For example, in Philippians chapter four, God said, I promise to meet all of your needs. Every need that you have, financially, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, every need that you have, God says, I promise to meet. Physically, I promise to meet every need that you have. So that's the promise. Well, we read that, but maybe we have an unmet need at this time. And something in our life is just not, not settled and not right. And we're, we're without something that we need. And God promises to meet that need. So what do we do? We say, God, I don't know how you're going to meet that need, but I believe that you will. Or in Romans chapter 8, God's made this promise, a very familiar promise. He said, I promise to cause everything that you go through in life to work out for your good and my glory. All things work together for good to those who love God. That's the promise. And so we read the promise and we say, God, here's what I'm going through. <laughs> here's what's happening now. God, there's not anything good about this, but the promise is that you're gonna cause it to work together for good. You're gonna bring good out of bad. And so God, I don't question the promise, but I do question your ways. I don't see any way in the world you can bring anything good out of this. Or how about the promise in Joel chapter two, one of my favorite promises in the, in the Old Testament, verse 25, God said, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. You look back on your life sometimes and you feel like maybe you wasted some years and and you lost some years. I I think about Dr. R.T. Kendall who preached here just a few weeks ago. One of the things I love about Dr. Kendall, he's so self-effacing, he's so, uh, he's humble and he's he's just painfully honest. And he has said many times in his writings and in his preaching that one of his regrets in life, he says he was a poor father. He said when his two kids were growing up, that he was so busy with the church, so busy preparing sermons, so busy writing books, he's written 80 or 90 books now, so many doing all those things that even though he loved his kids and provided for his kids, he just feels like he neglected to spend time with his kids. And now he says, if he could go back and do it again, he would study less, write less, spend more time with the kids. And he said, I think my sermons would be better than they were and I might've even been able to write more. I just think God would have blessed. He said, but I just look back and I feel like I've lost those years with my kids. And that's his biggest regret in life. But his story is also this. He's 88 years old now. He says in his latter years, 
God has fulfilled that promise in Joel chapter two to restore the years the locust has eaten. His son, T.R., travels with him everywhere he goes. He spends far more time with his grown son than most people would at that age with their son. T.R.'s in his 50s now, and yet they are together now. And he says, it is God restoring the years that the locust Eight. And so today, you may be feeling some regrets in your life. And God, how are you going to restore those years? Or how are you going to make, or maybe for you it wasn't so much you didn't do good with your kids, but maybe you feel like when you were in your, as a young adult in college, you wasted some years. And the promise is God's going to make that up. How? Well, we don't always know how, but we know that he will. And so today, what I want to do in this message, for the person listening to this, who says, John, I I'm at a place in my life with what's happening in my family, what's happening in our finances, what's happening in our health, just what's happening right now in in my life. I'm not questioning God's word. I know what he says. I believe God's word. I'm not questioning his word, but I'm questioning his ways. I'm not questioning God's promises. I believe God's promises, but I'm questioning the process that God might use to fulfill those. I'm not questioning God's message I know that he has said he is with me, he is for me, and that he wants to do something great through me. I know that he says the latter years will be better than the former years. I know that he said all things work together for good. I know that he said he'll restore the years and that every need will be. I know that I'm not questioning God's message, but I'm questioning God's methods. How's he gonna do it? I'm not questioning, you would say, God's trustworthiness. I do trust his word. I'm not questioning that, but I'm questioning his timing. When? I'm questioning his technique. How? And so for those here today who are questioning, not God's word, but God's ways, God, how will you keep this promise? How will you meet this need? How will you come through for me? How will you work this out? How will you put an exclamation point on this situation that I'm going through in my life? How will you do this? The question is, what are we supposed to do when God's ways don't make sense? Now, if you have a bulletin, if you picked one up coming in, you see in there five things that we're supposed to do when, uh, when God's ways don't don't make sense. This is the sermon. Everything I said so far was just the introduction, okay? Here comes the sermon, but I'm going to do the sermon quicker than I did the introduction. When God's ways don't make sense, because I don't have any doubt in my mind that there are people here today who are questioning, God, how are you going to take care of me now? Some of you have lost a, have lost a spouse. They've died, and you have kids to raise, and you have bills to pay, and you're wondering what we would all be wondering. God, How? How is this possible? College tuition, God, cars, insurance. How? How in the world are you going to do this? Well, I I can't tell you specifically how God will do it. Only God knows that. His ways are higher than ours. But I'll tell you five things you can do that will help you when God's ways don't make sense. Number one, look up. Look up. There's something about looking up that changes our perspective. Now, look in verse number 37 because... uh, or I'm sorry, verse 35, because after Mary in verse 34 said to Gabriel, how can this be since I'm a virgin? Notice what he said in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born uh, from you will be called the Son of God. So what was Gabriel saying? Saying, Mary, first thing you've got to do, you've got to look up. 
because God has made you a promise that is biologically impossible. You're gonna, you're gonna give birth and you're a virgin. How's this gonna happen? How's this gonna happen? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And so we look up. There's something about looking up. In my Old Testament reading, my own personal life right now, I'm in 2 Chronicles. And I was reading the other day about King Jehoshaphat of Judah and reading about a time in his life when Jerusalem was being attacked and besieged from all different angles. And it looked like for sure that, that they would be de- the Jewish people there would be destroyed. And so Jehoshaphat got all the people living in Jerusalem together. And he said, look, we need to pray and we need to fast and we need to seek the Lord because we're in a mess. And they, they had a time of praying and fasting. And as Jehoshaphat was praying, here's what he said to God. This is the king of the nation. He said, God, they're coming against us from all angles. And he said this, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. And as he looked up to God, God supernaturally intervened in that and God delivered them. And so I would say to you today, if you will look up, who was it? Corey Ten Boom who said, if we look around, we'll be distressed. If we look within, we'll be depressed. But if we look above, we'll be at rest. I would encourage you today to look up. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27, talking about Moses and his life and all the challenges Moses faced, leading those Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness, all their complaining, all their grumbling, all their questioning, all those problems they faced. And yet the scripture says, Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. How do you see someone who's invisible? By faith. And so we lift our eyes up and say, God, my eyes are upon you. I don't know how you're gonna do this for me, but I believe that you will. We look up. Number two, we look around. We do look around. In verse 36, notice what Gabriel said to Mary. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. What was Gabriel saying? Gabriel was saying, Mary, the first thing you need to do, as you think about how God's gonna keep this promise to you, look up, keep your eyes on him. Remember, nothing's impossible with God. He can do anything. But also, Mary, look around. Just look to your relative Elizabeth. She is way too old to be pregnant. She's way too old to, to have a baby. And yet, miraculously, supernaturally, she has conceived and she is in her sixth month of being pregnant. And so there's something about looking around. Did you know this is one of the reasons that coming to church on Sunday is so important? We don't just come to church to sing these songs to God, although that's important. And we don't just come to church to have the sermon and study the Bible, although that's super important too. Those are the, maybe the two main things. But also we come to church so that we can see one another. There's something about seeing other people that encourages us. I'll say this to you today. If you're going through something right now in your life, a bad, I talked to a lady between services. She's diagnosed last week with cancer. She said, John, pray for me. I'm going to MD Anderson on Thursday to figure out what in the world we're going to do. And we prayed together. Well, you may be facing something like that today, or maybe a financial hardship or grieving or whatever it might be. I'm saying this. If you look around this room today, I can almost guarantee you that there's somebody in this room right now who's going through something. It may not be exactly what you're going through, but going through something very similar to what you're going through. And maybe they've been through it and God has brought them through it. 
And so, you know, that's why the scripture says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens the countenance of another. There's something, especially we're going through a hard time, we see somebody else who's been through something similar, and by the grace of God, they made it. And so we say, by God's grace, I can make it too. I see Don and Eva Piper here today, and uh, for those of us who know Don and Eva and know their family, we're reminded that yesterday was the one-year anniversary when their daughter, Nicole, went to heaven to be with the Lord. She had battled kidney cancer for about, 70, for about seven years. And uh, it was a year ago yesterday that she went to be with the Lord. So she's been on my mind as I have watched the singing Christmas tree this year. I look up and see the tree. And I, I told Eva yesterday, I, just, I can still feel the, the spirit of Nicole in the tree. It's interesting, last year during the singing Christmas tree, Nicole went to heaven on the, on the Friday night of the, uh, of the tree her brother Chris was playing Jesus last year, and Don was in the drama. And so I kind of wondered after, after what they had experienced on Friday night, if Chris would be able to continue doing that, and if Don would be able to do that. Came here on Saturday last year for the presentation, and by the grace of God, Chris was still playing Jesus, and Don was still doing what he was doing in the drama, just like they had the night before. It was a, it was a touching thing, and it was an inspiring thing. This year... A young man named Luke Robeson is playing Jesus. And just like Chris did a great job last year, Luke's doing a wonderful job this year. And what all these people who come to the tree, they, of course, they don't even know who, who these people are. But those of you who go to church here, you, you may not even know that Luke, who's in our band here in this contemporary service, uh, last week, his grandmother died. And on Friday of this week, we were at, the, at, at a funeral home with, uh, with Luke and with his family for her service. As part of that service, Luke got up and gave a eulogy, honored his grandmother, said some wonderful things about her. This was at three o'clock on Friday. At seven o'clock on Friday night, he's right back in this room and he's playing his role as Jesus. Now, it just proves the point that I'm trying to make. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, I can almost guarantee you that in this room right now, there's somebody who has been through something very similar to what you're going through. And what I'm saying is this, the fact that God got them through it says to you that he hasn't changed, his grace works for you too, and that he will get you through it too if you'll just trust him and one step at a time, just keep moving forward. And so this is what Gabriel's saying to Mary. Mary, the first thing you've got to do, you've got to look up and be reminded God can do anything. But also look around, look at Elizabeth. Her conception is different from yours, but it's just as miraculous. And you should be encouraged from that. And then the third thing we should do is to look back. Now, this is not in this passage. We're not, Mary's not told here to look back. But all through the Bible, we're, we're, we're admonished to remember those things that God has done for us in the past, to remember needs that God has met for us in the past, prayers that he has answered in the past. I was home last night finishing this sermon. And I, I looked up at my bookshelf at home and I started looking at various books that I have. And I nearly brought them today and I thought, well, the people won't care. And, and the books that I wanted to bring were so big, it, I don't think it would have even fit on them. I mean, I don't mean you don't care, but I mean, you don't, it's not as touching to you as what it would be to me. But I started looking at those books and I started remembering this person gave me that book. I have one book at home, a concordance that a family gave me in 1988, over 35 years ago. 
And I've used that book for all these years. I have another book on my shelf. It's an interlinear Bible that has the Hebrew Old Testament and the Greek New Testament. And below that, it tells you what the words are in English. And it's, it's certainly very helpful for me. But I was preaching in Tennessee several years ago, many years ago, back in the early 90s, my home church. And after the service, a lady came up to me and she said, John, I remember you when you were a kid. I'm proud of you now. She said, I want to give you a little gift. Jackie McBride gave me $50. And she said, I want you to buy something special with that. Well, I was a seminary student. I didn't have much discretionary money. I got back to Fort Worth and I went to the, to the bookstore and I bought that interlinear Bible. And I've used, it, I've used that and the other book given to me by Joe Don and Burnett Polk. I've used those books so much that the spines are coming unpeeled from the book. But I thought, God, at a time in my life when I didn't have the money to buy a concordance, I didn't have the money to buy an interlinear. And so I look at those books on my book. I remember how good God has been. You see, those books don't just tell me about Greek words. Those books tell me about God's ways. And you have those things in your life. When I was in seminary one time, you know, seminary, you just, you're, you have your expenses and your books to buy. And I, I mean, I, I, God has always provided for me. I've never been without what I needed. But again, I didn't have just a lot of extra money to go buy things. One day I went to the mailbox and had a letter from Mike Ball, Mike and Janet Ball. You don't know them, but they were friends of ours in East Texas for many years. In fact, he was our family's CPA when I was growing up. And he, they wrote the sweetest note. John, I know you're in seminary. I know you don't have much discretionary money to spend. I know you have books to buy and other expenses. We just wanted to include in this letter a check for $1,000 to help you with some of your expenses. Only time in my life I receive money from a CPA. I mean, normally it's the other way around. You pay them and you pay Uncle Sam. I'm telling you that he's given me, but I, I just look at that and I think, you know what? God provided those needs for me at a time when, when that was a real blessing to my life. And just like God did it in the past, God will do it again. I, I could sing with a hymn writer. You know the old song, Great is Thy Faithfulness? When I was in Baylor, the chaplain of the school, Dr. Wimpy, whose daughter is of Gail West is a faithful member of our church, but Dr. Wimpy was a longtime chaplain at Baylor. Godly, godly man. His favorite hymn was Great is Thy Faithfulness. And there's a line in that hymn that says, All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. And I thought last night as I was looking at those books, as I was reflecting on my life, other needs God has met for me, other things God has done for me. I mean, some of the things God's done for me are so amazing. If I told you, you might not believe it. And, and, and I, you know, I probably tell more stories than any preacher I know, but I, I don't tell everything. I mean, there's some things just like in your life. Listen, there's some things in my life that God has done for me that are so personal and so meaningful to me that I almost feel like if I shared everything, it would cheapen it somehow. But I have my mind and my heart. I reflect and I look back and I say, God, you met this need. You answered this prayer. You gave me this. You supplied this. Three weeks ago, you answered a question that I had and have moved me into a deeper level of peace. And so God, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. If you did it back then, you'll do it now. And it strengthens my faith. There's something about looking back that helps us to move forward by faith. So we look up at God. He can do anything. We look around at others. He saw them through. He'll see me through. We look back at his provisions and all the blessings in our past. And then number four thing you should do today, say, I don't know how God's going to do it. I believe the promise but I don't understand the process. Here's what you should do. Agree with Gabriel. 
Agree with the angel Gabriel. Read what Gabriel said and say, amen, I believe that. What did you say? What did Gabriel say? Look in verse 37. One of the greatest verses in the Bible. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Say that with me. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Say it again. For with God, nothing will be impossible. That situation that you're in right now, that looks so hopeless. It looks so impossible. You think there's no way in this world that I can get through this. I'm telling you, you can get through it. With God, nothing is impossible. And you ought to just agree with Gabriel and say, I don't know how. I don't know how, but I'm not questioning his word. His ways, I don't understand. His methods don't make sense. His timing is not my timing. His technique's not like mine. His process, I don't know. But I agree with Gabriel. With God, nothing will be impossible. And then lastly, live accordingly. Just live like that. If you believe that, just leave that. You know the, the English word believe? Did you know that English word believe comes from the Latin word? That two Latin words that literally mean by, B-Y, live. By live. If you want to know what you believe, just look at how you live. You know, if we say, I believe that God is going to meet my needs. I believe God's going to come through me. God's going to bring good out of this. God, he will perfect that which concerns me. Man, these are great promises. Well, if you believe it, just live like it. Just live according. That's what Mary did. Look in verse 38. Then Mary said, behold, the maid servant of the Lord. Now watch this. Let it be to me according to your word. Gabriel, just like you said it, just let it happen that way. And then we read the angel departed from her. And so, the, listen, the best way to live is to read these promises in the Bible and just say, you know what? God said it. I believe it. And that's so. I remember when I was in seminary, Dr. Roy Fish was one of my professors. He's a legend at Southwestern. He has a building name. I mean, he has a chair of evangelism named for him up there. He was the interim pastor of this church from 1988 to 1990. And I was in his evangelism class one day, and he said to all of us young preacher guys, he said, fellas, you've all heard the saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. We all shook our heads like we had, we'd, even, we'd even preached that in our country churches. He said, I'm going to tell you something, fellas. God said it, and that settles it whether you believe it or not. He's right on that. But you know, there's a sense in which it's not settled in our hearts until we believe it. But when we read these promises God has made, we ought to be like Mary that says, let it be to me according to your word. God, you said it. I don't know how you'll do it. I don't know when, but I, you said it. I'm going to the stake with it. I'm betting my life on it. Look, folks, we talk about trusting God going through hard times. Compared to salvation, that's not anything. We, as Christians, think about this. We are trusting a God whom we have never seen to take us to a place a long way from here where we've never been and to keep us there for all eternity. Now, it's just logical. If we trust him to do that, we trust him to do what we need in our lives down here on a daily basis. Now, you still listen? Say amen. amen. Last night I was home and I was just thinking about what Gabriel said to Mary. Basically, what he said was, Mary, God has phenomenal plans for your life, and I know from your perspective it looks impossible, but it will come to pass. And, and, and Mary just got to the place where she said, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it, I believe it. She always believed it, 
But she just said, I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live like that. It's true. Let it be to me according to your word. And I was reminded of a story that I heard many years ago about a little girl, about six or seven years old. And one day she had gotten on, an, on a commercial airplane by herself. Had nobody to fly with her. She was all by herself. And she wanted to sit by the window, so her parents had gotten her a window seat. And, and she was so, so little and so young, her feet didn't even touch the ground. So she just kind of swinging her legs there. And she had a coloring book that her mother had given her and some crayons. And her mother had said, now on the flight, you always enjoy coloring. Just, just color, these, color these pictures. And so that's what she was doing. About 10 minutes before takeoff, an older man got on the, a very distinguished man got on the, on the plane and there were only two seats on that row and so he sat down next to her and he took his briefcase and pulled his Bible out and he said to himself, well, when we get up in the air, I'm gonna just read my Bible. He wanted to be friendly to the girl but uh, didn't know who she was, of course, and so he put out his hand and he said to the girl, my name, as he told her his name and she looked at him and she said, well, my name, and they shook hands, and, and she just went back to coloring her little coloring book there and swinging her legs, and they just, they backed out from the gate. They taxied down the runway. Plane took off. They're flying along. She's coloring. He's reading the Bible. And about 45 minutes into that flight, they encountered some really bad turbulence. I mean, they just began to bounce around up there. And then the turbulence went from being really bad to being really, 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 really bad. And you've, had, you've probably been on flights like that. The plane kind of drops. And so the man, who was a devout Christian, loved God with all of his heart, he just, you know, but when the, the Bible's bouncing up, he just closed his Bible. I can't even read my Bible like this. He said, probably just as well, I need to pray that, uh, that God will take care of us. And so he began to pray. Now, God, just help us to get through this turbulence. And it just got worse and worse, and it just seemed like it never would end. And even though this was a godly, mature Christian, he he was getting a little bit anxious and really very worried about that. But he noticed a little girl over there didn't seem to care at all. She just coloring in her coloring book, swinging her leg. She's just happy as she was on the ground. Finally, they got through the turbulence, got to where they were going. The plane landed. They got to the gate, parked the plane. And just about the time the flight attendant was saying, in just a moment, you can unfasten your seatbelt and we're all gonna deplane. The man said to the little girl, he said, young lady, I, I have been watching you on this flight. And I noticed that when we got up in that really bad weather up there, I, I have to be honest with you, I was kind of concerned. I was really nervous. In fact, I was afraid. But I noticed you just seemed as cool as a cucumber. You just kept coloring in your color. But you didn't seem to worry anything. She said, no, mister, I wasn't worried. She kind of smiled. She just kept coloring even on, after they had landed. And he said, well, do you mind if I ask you, how did you stay so calm? when the flight was so bumpy and she looked up at him and smiled and she said, oh, that's an easy question to answer, mister. She said, the reason I was able to stay so calm is because my father is the pilot and I knew he was just taking me home. And when I was reminded of that story last night, I thought, you know, that little girl has taught all of us how to live. In those turbulent seasons of life, we, we have the promises. We don't know how long the turbulence will last. We don't know when we'll see a blue sky again. We don't know when we'll come through what we're going through. But you know what? If we are children of God, we know that our Father is flying the plane and we know that he'll get us where he wants us to be. He'll get us there. And so today, many here are wondering, 
How is God going to do this? Let me say this and I'll close today. I don't know the specific answer to your question, how God is going to get you through. But I know this. You don't have to know how if you know him. You don't have to know the process if you know the pilot. If you know God, you know all you need to know. And if you'll just trust him like Mary did and say to God, God, let it be to me, let it be to me according to your word. I'm going to live with my life what I say I believe. And God, I'm going to trust you. And you're going to get me where I need to be. Amen. So with our heads bowed and eyes closed today. First for the Christian, we're going to have a salvation call in a moment. But first for, for those of us who are saved, who do believe the promises, who do believe God's word. But sometimes we really struggling. We struggle because we don't know God's ways. How are you going to do it? Well, we don't have to know how if we know him. Would you just today, in your own words, say to God, God, here's what I am going through. Just put it out there before God and say, Lord, there it is. And God, I know your promises. God, for the life of me, I don't see any way that this is all going to work out and that you'll bring good from it and that I'll survive it and that I'll be able to go. I don't see that. But I just choose to look up and to believe that somehow, some way, you're going to get me through what I'm facing in my life. Just tell him that. The best thing that a Christian could do in a service like this today is simply to say to Jesus, Jesus, I trust you. Just like I trust you to save me, I trust you to sustain me. And I trust you to see me through. Now, while Christians are praying that all across the room today, some here today are not saved, just like in the first service, just like we've seen at the singing Christmas tree. Some of you today don't have peace with God. You don't know that if your heart stopped beating today, you don't know that you would go to heaven. You hope you would. You think you might, but you're not certain about that. You need to get that settled today. The Bible says God's word is settled in heaven, but it will never be settled in your heart until by an act of the will and a commitment when you take God at his word and say, Lord God, I trust you, I believe. And I place my faith in what you have promised. And it all begins by receiving Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you today want to be saved or if you say, John, I need to know for sure that I'm saved, would you just pray this prayer right now? Say, dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I don't want to go another day. I don't want to go another hour or minute without you into my life, without you in my life. And so, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invite you right now, Jesus, to come into my heart. I ask you to forgive my sins, wash them all away in your blood. And God, help me not to do those things that grieve your spirit and make you unhappy. Put me on a different path. Lord Jesus, on this Sunday morning, I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. I believe that what you have promised you will do, that if I would call on your name, that you would save me. And so, Lord, I have called and I trust you to save me. I, I trust you, Jesus.